if I've got, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes and I want a quick release, you know the kind, I know the exact toy that'll do the trick. Or I know the exact friction and rhythm to deliver with my hands in order to do it too. But if I want to slow things way down for a totally different experience, when I'm not in a rush, when I can spend some true quality time with myself, there's some very specific accessories that I like to grab. Sometimes I blindfold myself or I dim the lights really low. Sometimes I use a feather up and down my arms while vibey music plays in the background. Sometimes I get as much of my body involved as I possibly can. I run my hands through my hair, down my face, and I let my fingers dance all over the surface of my skin. I put pressure on my inner thighs. I take my sweet time seducing myself before ever touching my genitals. And when I'm properly warmed up and efficiently lubed up, one of my favorite new bedroom accessories to reach for is the Oh My C from Ioba. I'm not sure what mechanism is in this thing, but the toy has a little nub that rotates at different speeds, so it mimics the sensation of being orally stimulated. It's nice, it's light, and it's quiet. Sometimes the sounds of my toys can actually take me out of my experience, so a softer, quieter toy is incredibly appreciated. I make sure to take deep breaths as I let the pleasure and sensation build, breathing it throughout my body, and when the time is just right, I pick up the speed of the rotation and I ride a full body wave of ecstasy. This is one of many acts of devotion I choose to regularly deliver to myself. And it's not about what my partner can or cannot give to me. It's about taking time to be with myself in my pleasure, doing anything and everything that feels good for me. If you're looking for a quiet, high-quality, beginner-friendly, super-cute vibe that doesn't actually vibe too hard, my personal recommendation is the Oh My See from Ioba. See the show notes for details and a discount. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Chick. This is a Soulfire production. Joining me on the show today, I have Dr. Susie Gronsky. Specializing in men's pelvic and sexual health, Dr. Susie is a licensed doctor of physical therapy, certified pelvic rehabilitation practitioner, Michigan-trained sex counselor and educator, international teacher, author, and creator of one-to-one and self-paced health programs that help men with sexual pain become experts in treating themselves. Today, we'll be talking about men and sex how she is challenging traditional views around the two and ways for men to help their sexual pain. I hope y'all enjoy the show. Yay. So I was just mentioning before I hit record that I walked into the, into our house this morning and um, Jordan was asking me, my partner was asking me like, what do you have going on? I'm like, well, I have two podcasts to record today. And my first one, I'm going, I'm talking about play parties. So like sex parties and how to have good ones and you know, just, just all the moving pieces and parts of a sex party. And I was like, and then my second one is somebody that I've interviewed in the past. And her whole thing is about penis pain and being a pelvic floor therapist for men. And he's like, I didn't know that was a thing. I said, yes, it it is a thing. And it is her thing. It is Dr. Susie Gronsky's thing. And um, I know I've interviewed you years ago for a show that I had previously called um, Kaleidoscope Radio. And then we've rebranded everything and we came out um, with our new show, That Sex Chick. And 
oh, it has this whole process of doing a, a new show launch and release and all that has gone beyond my wildest dreams. The show is so well received. Um, I've grown as a podcast host, as a sex educator and a person who's in this field and in this space. And it is, it literally blows my mind on the daily. I walk around and every now and then someone will come up to me and be like, Hey, are you that sex chick? And I'll go, yeah. And they're like, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, Oh my God, you do. What do you think? And I hope that it never loses that like awe for me. And, um, and I'm just so excited to get to bring such varied conversations to people, including a co the conversation we're going to have now, which even my partner had no idea was a thing. And I couldn't imagine talking about penises with another woman on the show <laughs> other than you. So Dr. <laughs> Susie, thank you for yet another, what I'm sure is going to be amazing convo on penises, penis pain and the pelvic floor of a man. Well, thank you very much, Alexa. That was such a fun introduction. <laughs> and yes, what I do is a thing. So men can have sexual pain or pain in their penis or pelvic pain. There are many different names out there depending on who you're getting your info from. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my jam. And I'd be happy to talk about that. <laughs> Yay. Great. Well, because that's exactly what I brought you here for. So... <laughs> Um, so, okay, let's get started by giving the, uh, the listeners a little taste of your story, because like looking at you from across the Zoom screen here, I'm like, how would I ever know that penises and cock pain and sex, sexual pain in men and all of that? I would never guess like that's your thing. So I'm sure it comes with a story. So tell us a little bit about that story. And of course, when you realize that helping men with their sexual pain and discomfort and all that was going to be the jam. Yes, absolutely. So as you ha guessed, I do not have a penis or a scrotum or testicles. However, I do find it very rewarding to work with those who do have penises and have very concern, very distressing concerns should something arise and not in a good way down there for them. So how my journey started with working with penis owners, it isn't really exciting, to be honest with you. I started my private practice in pelvic health several years ago, and this was before I moved to Asheville. I was in Illinois. And I really geared my marketing initially towards working with women because that's how I, you know what I was taught in uh, postgraduate work for pelvic health. And Traditionally, pelvic health has been dominated more for around and in air quotes here, uh, women's health um, or those that are female identified. And so over the months, actually it didn't take long for men to reach out to me and ask me, Do you, you know, could you help me? I have similar concerns. I have pain in my penis. I have testicular pain. It hurts when I sit. It feels like I have a golf ball in my ass you know, this is very uncomfortable. And I've gone to several doctors, specialists, and they're all telling me that they there's nothing wrong. They can't find anything. And what you're writing on your website for women is very similar to what I'm experiencing. Can you help me? I said, well, sure. Why not? It's just organized a little differently. We all have the same part. And that's how my journey started. I started to welcome men into my practice and doing my own research and then interviewing them as far as, you know, what resources 
would you have liked or want to have with the these issues that you're coming to see me with, right? And they were like, a book, some information on, on the internet that's solid. Everything that's on there is all over the place or it's doom and gloom. And I said, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And I decided to fill this very much needed uh, awareness for men who experience sexual pain or pelvic pain in, in their um, private parts. And here I am, so, you know, several years later, just solely working with men who have sexual pain, sexual dysfunction. And that's, that's, that's it. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm curious because I imagine that you get pretty vulnerable with men or they get very vulnerable with you because I imagine that there's lots of conversations that need to be had. Like, why are you experiencing? What is your, what has your experience been like? What is happening outside in the rest of your life to have this situation start to arise or situation not rise? Pun intended there, you know? Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the, what are some of the common things that people, when they come to you that they are experiencing? Yeah. So the most common one is sexual pain, and that can be pain with an erection, pain with ejaculation or post-ejaculation, pain with any type of friction. So oral, hand job, penetration. Um, it could also be pain in the shaft or the tip of the penis, the scrotum, the testicles, or along that, like around the anus. Those are the most common areas that men will come to me for as far as their concerns. The secondary to that would be uh, pain with sitting. So uh, because those areas we sit on, uh, which is normal and healthy, um, it can be very aggravating if there's already sensitivity in that region. And then uh, urinary frequency and urgency. So those are the top three. So bladder pain, bladder urgency, frequency. Um, and there's often overlap in those. So that's like from the pain side of things, but also with sexual pain or pain in this area of our body, there also comes a change in sexual desire, the libido, appetite, and also there may be changes with penis function, right? So sexual function, because when something hurts, it's very distressing and concerning, but no one can give you an answer or help you or guide you in, in any way, then that becomes the big elephant in the room, right? And so how does that impact erectile function? Well, it certainly does because you're not going to have optimal circulation to those tissues because you're in stress response mode, right? You're in fight or flight. And that tends to dampen the systems necessary for you to even get an erection. So then, you know, again, a lot of overlap between sexual difficulties and sexual pain. So I work within those two realms complementary. So I'm also a sex counselor and educator, and I just graduated from the University of Michigan Sexual Health Certificate Program that allows me to blend all of those angles into a session. Usually when people find their way to you, is it kind of like a last ditch effort? Do you find people that are a bit exasperated usually? 
I would say that's common. Yes. Like, um, there's a bit of this relentless hope too, in that, like, you're my last hope. I know you're the expert. Um, you know, you're going to help me there. And, and we do, there's change pain, you know, pain can always change. It's, it's hard. It's challenging. It's distressing, but it is hopeful. And so part of my role as a clinician, also as a, as a sex counselor is to be the guide and support. So, for many of the men that reach out to me, they have not had the opportunity to share their story in the way that they want to share it as far as being open, honest, vulnerable to lean into a space that is quite scary for a lot of men. When you go to the traditional medical route, many of us, you know, there's this traditional view around masculinity and sex and men in pain, et cetera. The other thing is that traditional medical providers are not trained to talk about sex and ask mm-hmm. questions around sexual health or have these very candid conversations about masturbation uh, and, and you know, what all is going on in that person's life, right? So it's very compartmentalized. So when they do come to my office and have the opportunity to share their story and all their concerns around their pain and otherwise, right, sexual health, because it's so... Uh, intermingled or enmeshed with each other, then there is a sense of relief that is therapeutic because that person is now able to express themselves and be heard and validated and affirmed rather than, which is common in the stories that I hear that it's very, they're very dismissed, that their concerns are dismissed uh, or told that it's all in their head and up up in the brain, not down there, fellas. (laughs) Uh, So I imagine for a lot of people, you might be their first experience with any kind of therapeutic environment where, where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to show up here and feels like there's a golf ball down there. And I wonder what that could be like. And the next thing you know, you're asking questions that maybe don't have anything to do with the golf ball size thing that they're feeling. I mean, sure. You're asking questions about that, but I imagine that there's much more going on as well. So I'm curious about how, how you see the blend of, um, let's say the things that shaped the man to the man that is in front of you or the penis owner, uh, societal norms, maybe there's uh, religious kind of dogmatic upbringing. Uh, maybe they're in a relationship that they're not super fulfilled in that kind of thing mm-hmm. and how that translates into some of the work. <clears throat> Right. And so I'll preface this by saying that the folks that I work with are predominantly cisgender men, heterosexual orientation. So I'm by no means when I talk about this stuff, am I trying to generalize everyone's experience into that box? So um, so I will be using language that the folks that I work with use as preface. But um, so, yes, uh, back to your question as far as, you know, the social scripts, social sexual scripts around penis function and what it means to be a man is often oriented around performance, right? Penis is rock hard. When you want it at a dime, it's ready to go, right? Always. Right. And can go for <laughs> Forget hours. about building up sexual energy or an appetite, or maybe you're tired or, you know, maybe you've got some conflict in your relationship. Nope. Doesn't matter what's going on. Your penis should be rock hard, ready to go. Otherwise, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the biggest one is there's this pressure around performance oriented sex rather than 
pleasure, a mutual experience with your, you know, it could be with partner or partners or even just with yourself, a pleasure oriented mindset around sex sexuality. But that's not really what we are told as far as the traditional sexual scripts go, right? There's always that pressure to, I must please my partner or partners. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I'm a and, failure. All right. Otherwise I'm a failure. I'm, I'm demasculinized, mm-hmm. right? Cause penis, penis function is heavily correlated with identity, masculine identity, mm-hmm. right? From that traditional sense. When that's not working in, let's again, traditionally penis vagina sex, it's all about penetration, right? Then that is less than, or at least perceived as less than, or maybe the person feels that they're just inadequate, right? How can I ever be in a relationship? How can I satisfy my partner? They're not going to want me, you know, et cetera, which is very challenging when you are experiencing sexual pain and then you do have erectile failure because every, every man across their lifespan will experience a wax and wane in their erections. It's not talked about. There's also performance worry or anxiety around being able to perform. But it's all, again, all around this concept of performance-based or goal-oriented sexual encounter, sexual experiences, rather than pleasure-oriented, mutual experience of eroticism and touch and sensation with mental flexibility and variability within that experience. So, of course, if you are worried that your partner, like there's all this worry around, is my penis going to work today? And it hurts. That's adding to the distress of the entire situation because that is also going to increase stress response mechanisms that are going to dampen the sexual response cycle. It's also going to not, you know, your libido, your appetite is not going to be what it is when you're not in pain. And all it takes is one time for things not to be working as you want them to, to be really worried about it the next time and the next time and next time. So that's, I think that's the biggest, as far as traditional norms and stereotypes around masculinity is this performance oriented mindset and then the necessity of I must please my partner and it must look this way and be this way but it's part of that right penetration penis vagina sex there's nothing wrong with that that's part of that sexual experience but not all of it so a lot of the work that I do as well is helping men to reframe perhaps their traditional views around sex is there wiggle room around that because how else are you going to communicate your needs during a sexual encounter, especially if you have pain? Let's say um, thrusting with uh, your partner on top is painful. It's very challenging for men, the men that I work with, to express to their partner, hey, you know what? That hurts. And let's try another position. Can we do this or that? Can you go slower? Can you go softer? Right. So the communication which is also a very vulnerable place for anyone to be to communicate about around sex. A lot of people are afraid to talk about sex and talk about their needs and desires and wants and situations and what's going on for them. The other thing is um, sometimes the sexual pain, like 
onset of sexual pain happens after a sexual activity that this person, like, for example, masturbation, trying out a different technique or um, like joking or edging and that sort of thing and resulted in a tissue injury. Now, there might be a lot of blame on that part. Like, I blame myself for this issue. It's my fault whatever that person's views are around masturbation, right? Like I always ask, like, how do you feel about masturbation? Because depending on religious views, social cultural aspects of that person's experience, you know, what they're told, you know, what, again, what are those stories and narratives we hear about masturbation, what it should be, should it be, et cetera. You know, all those like intersectionalities of that person's experience around sexual activity or sexuality is going to shape that person's experience with pain as well mm. and and you know again and they're often not telling their partners maybe right because i don't want my partner to know that i masturbate you know what all of this is kind of in this entanglement but when there is an opportunity to share that story and say oh okay you tried something new just like any other part of your body it can get injured tissues heal let's try to bring back confidence comfort and safety with these activities. But during that process, it's how, else, how can I also communicate to my partner or be honest? Cause honesty is a choice in any given moment. Right. So what, how would you like to express your needs during a sexual experience or sexual encounter while you're recovering or while you're healing? Cause that's an important part of that therapeutic process as well. So I did a lot of talking right there and I was not planning on going down so many, so many, little tangents no but it's 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 perfect because I had all these things on my list you know (laughs) and challenging these traditional and what's the these traditional views on male sexuality and all of that that's all on the list so you're doing great and something that that comes up for me and hearing all of that especially when you mention like oh you know if if there's pain in certain positions and I'm just going to straight up, if you're in partnership with a penis owner and you like to have sex with a penis, this is how to not respond. What's wrong with you? Right. That's how to... Or is it me? Or, you know, if let's say their their erection kind of wanes or, you know, gets softer. Well, is it me? What did I do? Are you not attracted to me? Are you, you know, there's always that sense of like, there's, wait you must not like me or love me or want me or find me attractive or sexual or anything. Mm. And that further, again, adds to that that psychological game of, oh shit, I don't want my partner to think that I don't want, no, I want Mm. you. And then it's like the stress is so, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, pressure, which means then instead of turning towards each other as Dr. Barry McCarthy would say, erotic allies, turn towards each other during those moments of distress or challenge there's often this avoidance mm-hmm. and greater separation and space between the coupleship. Yeah. And, and there's this really interesting thing that I'm, I'm hearing, you know, there's this idea that men are inherently selfish and that they're just trying to, you know, get off when more often than not, especially in, you know, when I was, I'll just speak from my personal experience when I was maybe my early twenties, late teens, early twenties, I did experience quite a bit of that, of, you know, the, the squirrel trying to get their nut kind of thing. And, (laughs) and so, yes, that's out there, but as I've gotten older and I've, and I've, you know, I'm in my thirties now. And so it's, it's, I'm, I'm having a lot more interactions with people that are looking for their mate 
the types of, of sexual encounters and relationships, they just, they have a bit of a different edge and a different feel, not all, but you know, and I've been in my long-term partnership getting married this year, which I'm really excited about. Congratulations! I didn't even know that I was going to ever say in my whole life that I was excited about it, but, um, you know, just paying attention, like the people in my community and hearing people in a different, um, in a different phase in life, this idea that, um, it's not just what I see a lot more now than just like the squirrel trying to get their nut is I want to please this person. You know, I have this, um, I have a, a Facebook group and a community that I have been nurturing since long before I knew I was ever going to do this professionally. Um, and I've asked questions on numerous occasions that, that are something to the effect of men, how do your penis owners, men, how do you feel when you know that your partner didn't have an orgasm and the hundreds of responses that are, I feel not enough. I feel ill-equipped. I feel like I didn't do a good job. I feel disappointed. I feel, and a lot of the feeling and I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, that's incredible. And then there's the handful of people that will say, um, I don't stop until so very goal oriented, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I just won't stop. And there's kind of this, like, then there's this little edge of machismo in there too, where it's like my women don't not have an orgasm or something kind of cheesy like that. And, and very few say, I feel okay. Especially if we had a great time, like that's almost never there. It's so strange. And then on top of that, it's almost like now that I, that I'm having more of this type of conversation, it's almost like they don't feel like they deserve pleasure if they can't perform. So if right. my dick's not working the way that mm-hmm. I am telling myself it's supposed to work and how I have made to believe that it's supposed to work, then I don't deserve any pleasure. Right. Exactly. Which is again, the very old traditional paradigm of the sexual script around men and sex and it's desire and satisfaction are more important than arousal and orgasm and there is this radical acceptance of owning your own pleasure like you're not responsible for someone else's pleasure you may be part of that experience but you are not responsible for someone else's pleasure. That, that, that again, that, as long as that pressure is there, you're there to do a job. You're not, you're not there to experience. And that robs you of your own ability to be mindful and present and relaxed and curious in that sexual encounter, which is always evolving and changing dependent on context. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. So everybody who's listening, I just need you to take your journals out and grab a pen and paper and (laughs) start writing out all the things. Ownership over your pleasure, how you want to respond in an experience where maybe if you're, if you're a person listening and you do like to have encounters, sexual, pleasurable, sensual kind of encounters with penises and penis owners then flow out like what does that mean to you and what would be what would be my markers of success and does it need does all of this bodily functionality like what role does that play and then 
how do I really feel? Once you flow all that out, then go, how do I really feel now about that? What is the truth that I know? I oftentimes will ask my people in some of my programs and students, I'm like, what were some of the lies that you were told when you were growing up? about your sexuality and your body. And then I go, now, what have you, what have you discovered is the truth as you've grown up? What have you discovered is the truth? Cool. These things. And a lot of times tears come up and it's Mm -hmm. so far from, from the narrative that was given like, cool. Everybody ready to take responsibility, change the damn game. Yeah. Sex positive crusaders. (laughs) I love it. Yes. (laughs) Sex positive crusaders. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's challenging again, especially for men, because we, again, men are not told to show emotion or be vulnerable mm -hmm. or to show pain. I mean, again, pain for sure. Because if, what does that mean? Weakness and vulnerability is such a negative context, especially around, you know, masculinity. Um, and that, and that just really, creates a very myopic world for someone and it is also very isolating as well so when when a penis owner experiences sexual pain which is another big uh, void as is social support social support around the concerns of what's happening in their penis how often do men talk about their private parts to each other hey how's your dick doing today right right you know what i got this thing that's hurting me like you want to check it out no it's not like that's not how in our in our culture that's not what is you know quote unquote acceptable um but the more that we embrace and open it and be more open about talking about our private parts or, and naming them and, and, and having that social support around that, that w- it wouldn't be so scary. But if you're a guy and you're experiencing something down there, a, it's like, no one, I don't want anybody to know about this because it is such a stigma. Right. And there's so much shame and blame and guilt around that. Mm. And then that's com- those parts are coming into, you know, pain recovery as well. Cause as long as those parts are hanging out, the, again, stress response mechanisms are really high. There's the protective buffer gets really wide. And so it's really about kind of breaking those down yeah. and saying, hey, you're human. You have a human body and this stuff happens to anybody. Right. And, you know, I, I know we were segueing from our talk about sexual health, but the or sexuality is our bodies are going to change and it's accepting that aging does happen. And your penis isn't going to function the way it did when you were 18, 20, 25, 30. And as you age, there are natural changes that occur. So how can you be more flexible around your sexual experiences? Right? Because if, like you said, Alexa, if the metric is to perform and to have a rock hard penis all the time, whenever you want it, whenever your partner wants it, because forget about not being in the mood for a guy, right? Right. Like to say, Hey, I just, I'm, I'm tired. I had a rough day. I got a lot of my mind. I'm tired. No, that's not acceptable, which it is acceptable. And there's a really good book out there by Dr. Sarah um, Hunter Murray. It's called not always in the mood. Mm. That's for men. It's, it's breaking down these myths that we're talking about and saying, Hey, it's okay not to be in the mood. It's okay to say, Hey, you know what? I'd like to, you know, I'm going to veto sex tonight, but I'd like to cuddle. I'd like to watch a movie with you. Oh, yeah. Let you know, let's kind of just sit here and hold hands. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I recently, I'm just going to share uh, kind of a little personal story. I have clients right now that, um, which each time I work with a couple, 
you know, I don't, I don't take private clients all that much. And it's usually all by referral. Like I have some really super close friends here in Austin and then they wind up talking a lot about my effect on their, like the effect that they believe that I've had on their relationship and an opening it up. And then, you know, their next removed friend is like, I want to work with her. And anyway, so I, I love having like my little intimate like group of one-on-ones or two-on-ones that um, which sounds sexual in and of itself, uh, <laughs> relationships and, and client relationships. And very recently I had a couple that we wanted to use something other than verbal language to communicate and convey I'm open and available, or I'm open to connection and intimacy without sex, or I'm not available. So, because sometimes, especially for people, if it's the, if they're first starting to work on using this language and they've never used it before, and they've only done very, um, binary, like it's either yes or no, mm-hmm. you know, like what about the gray area? There's so much beauty and deliciousness and intimacy and vulnerability. And, you know, right. if you just play in the gray a little bit, um, so, and that's not to say that you always opt for gray and you have this neutral blah kind of life and you're not open to like, you know, the big, beautiful excitement and the joy and the pleasure. And, you know, cause sometimes maintaining the gray, uh, is opting for neutrality. So I'm not talking about that. So just a quick pre- preface there, but anyway, so it was really cute because they really like Harry Potter. And so, awesome. so the codes were, for the last time we talked, it was Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, or Gryffindor. And Gryffindor was like, get naked now. And <laughs> Ravenclaw was like pensive, you know, and like a little like, I'm in it, like I'm open, but I'm not there yet. And I don't know if I'm going to be there. So like, meet me with like, let's cuddle and let's touch. And I'm open to intimacy, but not necessarily sex yet. And then it was um, Hufflepuff. <laughs> So it's like, who wants to fuck Hufflepuff? So I look for anybody who's in Harry Potter, you know, if you've taken the quiz and you're, you're, uh, in the house of Hufflepuff, you're like, Hey, <laughs> no, no offense to the Hufflepuffs. Um, but anyway, and that was like, I'm, I'm not open to any of it. I'm just, you know, no, thank you. It's like, I love right. you and no, thank you. And I'm actually like, I'm busy. The kids need yeah. me. I've got this thing to do. I don't have time. And it could be like Hufflepuff, but Gryffindor later. You know oh, what I, I mean? It. Well, it so, sounds like a lot of playfulness is yes. what, what I'm hearing from that is adding yes. in this sense of fantasy play yeah. and also playfulness, which I feel like as adults, we just forget about that, that yeah. why does, why isn't play part of our language? Why is it just for kids? We were once there. I mean, we, that's creativity and that's yeah. connectivity and um, being able to share in each other's imaginations and, and create energy and um, emotional intimacy. I think, I just think it, playfulness is such yeah. a huge part of sexual intimacy and life outside of the bedroom is integrated with life in, you know, in the bedroom yeah. and vice versa. So, yeah. I mean, definitely play. Yeah. Play. It's so wild. You see kids do that all the time. 
And then kids become adults. And for some reason, life gets sincere and serious. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that play, it's like I reserve my play for my one vacation every year while I'm like still wrapped up in all of the shit of my life. And I'm not actually detached or, you know, I might just numb out the whole time with a bunch of alcohol throughout that experience or something like that. It's like, where does the play come in? And I have found it just remarkable to have so many conversations about sex that we're infusing that play and we're infusing that imagination and almost that childlike innocence of wonder and awe infused into the most air quote adult thing that we could possibly be doing. Exactly. And staying curious about your sexuality and your partners, like just being curious about one another because you both are growing and evolving together as individuals and also as a coupleship as a sexy intimate team or a sexual intimate team you know and um yeah it's like how do we still yeah turn towards each other as you know things get turbulent in life and that's what happens and you know again you know we can't predict the future of you know what if someone what if your partner has a chronic illness what if you get a chronic illness like sexual pain can be persistent and it is distressing how do y'all navigate that how do you help each other with resilience and perseverance and support and love and compassion and honesty i think you know we can't guarantee what the future will hold for for you both um, and, and how your bodies may or may not change and also emotionally how things change for us on a day-to-day basis. So it's really as important as far as what do we do in those situations to, to work as a team, as a partnership instead of an individual um, isolated event. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, I mean, one of many ways is again, to bring some of the levity, because even though it might be a very challenging thing, whether it's illness or pain or something like that, you can still create an environment where, like you said, you turn towards each other and maybe you use the Harry Potter, Potter, potty, Harry Potter language, or use <laughs> a color system. Yes, you could use that too. Or you use a color system or you, like, yes. what are the ways that you can add levity to it? And so that you're not consistently yeah. using language that is, I have pain today or this thing is flared up today or this thing is happening again. And then, you know, how can you choose language that creates some space and you don't wind up wrapping your identity into the thing that is probably temporary? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. A hundred percent to everything you said. (laughs) Great. So I would love to hear um, a couple of things before we wound, uh, wind up rounding out the show really for people who are listening, if they are with someone or maybe they are a penis owner themselves, what are things, and you've mentioned a couple of things to look out for or like red flags. Cause I think that's something that happens for a lot of people with, um, for a lot of men, a lot of penis owners is it's like last ditch effort for them to go and seek help. So what would be some of the signs that maybe we can catch it earlier or even their partner can go, oh, this is a thing that's coming up a lot and maybe we should see somebody. So what could a couple of those things that are be like little red flags or like maybe not red flags, like little alarms, like, hey, go see someone for some help here. And then twofold behind that is how can they help themselves? What does working with a PT or someone like you, what would that look like? maybe like exercises. And I'm very curious about this. Like, What would you tell them to do? 
Yes. So that's two questions. Yes. So let me, let's go for the first one of, okay, when do I go get help? Right. Yeah. So what, what are some of the red flags? Um, I'm not a you know medical doctor. I'm not a urologist or anything like that. So just put, you know, I'm a, I put my doctorate in physical therapy. Um, but as far as from my scope of practice, I mean, certainly if you're peeing blood, if you have lumps or bumps that are popping up and you're like, where did that come from? And they're painful. Like certainly check that out. I mean, you know, your, your body, at least I would hope that you're checking, you know, doing a testicular check on yourself and knowing your body to that degree when you're noticing, Hey, something's off, especially if it, if it becomes painful. But to that degree though, you can also have aches and niggles that arise and go away. So for example, let's say your sexual frequency has increased quite a bit, right? Like you're used to a certain frequency and then you all of a sudden meet a partner and then your sexual activity increases, right? Sometimes those parts get sore too, right? And so knowing, again, as long as we're not distressed about it and it it alleviates, you know, uh, again, any injury in the body will typically uh, heal within six to eight weeks. That's on average, again, depending on the body part we're dealing with. Um, But if you're noticing something more as far as like pain that's worsening, waking you up at night, um, you know, there's maybe signs of infection, like a fever, general body aches and pains. I mean, certainly get it checked out because it might be an infection, you know, of the testicle or the prostate. I mean, those things happen. Now, for persistent pelvic pain, Traditionally, that definition is any pain that lasts greater than three to six months in the abdominal groin or pelvic region that results in a change in sexual function, change in urinary function or bowel function. So, you know, if it's persisting and getting or and or getting worse and in limiting your daily activities like pooping, peeing and sex or sitting, riding a bike, etc., Go get it checked out. You know, definitely rule out the big red flags with a urologist. Um, and then if that's clear, right? So they may give you a round of antibiotics as a prophylactic, but I wouldn't suggest more beyond that because tr- for chronic pelvic pain in men, which is traditionally called the t- old traditional view of it is chronic prostatitis. And I have like bunny air quotes here because it's like the catch all umbrella term for pelvic pain in men but rarely does it have anything to do with the prostate being infected. Right. In fact, 95 to 97% of cases are not due to a prostatic infection. But because that label's there, the traditional medical route of treating it is antibi- antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, more antibiotics, more anti-inflammatories, maybe some Flomax, you know? So it's it's lingering on, but when you're adding on all these medications especially that disrupt the gut microbiome and stuff and the urinary biome like there's research now indicating that that actually might be backfiring and prolonging the persistence of these symptoms from a from the immune system itself Mm -hmm. and creating something new yes or worsening right so um and dr curtis nickel out in canada is has is does a lot of research on on male pelvic pain and again chronic prostatitis if if you're googling things but um yeah rarely does it have anything to do with a prostatic infection so at that point if you're seeing a a medical provider who's like okay we tried antibiotics and that's not working go see a physical therapist or physiotherapist or even an occupational therapist who specializes in working with men who have pelvic pain. So definitely go directly to 
another specialist like myself or someone uh, equally qualified to address the musculoskeletal side of things, the nervous system, the, you know, for reassurance, like bringing down the anxiety around these symptoms and then having a conversation around sexual health because good physical health and, you know, behavior habits around our health are certainly very important for our sexual health. (laughs) Really important. So those values, um, yeah, we want to definitely address it um, earlier on. And in my opinion, and although I don't have research to back this up, the sooner that we can quell some of the fears around the, these issues, the in my opinion, the less uh, the less persistent they will be. Yeah. Because uh, you have in my plan. head, I finished it with the less likely it will become chronic. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So that's my answer to when should I go check it out? Right. Mm-hmm. So just knowing, you know, again, ruling out STDs, STIs, um, you know, just overall good health practices. Um, but you're right. Men will be less likely to reach out to health providers right away. And there is this tendency to watchfully wait. <laughs> um, but then in the meantime, all that kind of just gets bigger, like the worry around it. It's not going away. Um, yeah. And, and, and that may be unnecessary. So the sooner the better so that there's more reassurance, um, and also a, a plan, um, to help resolve these issues. So that's the first answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the second one? <laughs> so the second one being, so what happens during a physical therapy or a pelvic health visit, right? Again, it could be a different, a sexual medicine provider as well that, that does this work. Sure. And I can only speak from my approach, like how I do things. So I will tell, you know, I tell people that I work with, like there are many physical therapists and pelvic health specialists, but not all of us are created equal, just like any other profession, right? Like we're not, you know, our skill set, our comfort level, our training yes, um, to some degree is going to vary. Um, As I said, I have a sexual counseling background, so I'm very comfortable with addressing topics around sexual health and sexual dysfunction. So a lot of my intake includes sexual health intake in in addition to the past medical history and, you know, show me where it hurts, tell me, you know, when did this all start, et cetera. So initially we had that conversation, share your story, tell me what's going on. I might, you know, again, dive into more detailed and intimate questions around their pain and then other concerns that are coming up during that intake. And then we do a full body. I'm a functional person. I'm like, okay, move your body around, like bend forward, bend your back. Like if you were to lift something off the ground, what would that look like? And what positions and postures hurt? What positions and postures feel better for you or yummy for you? So I'm very fluid in that process, kind of like an art of like, just show me how your body moves. And then I'm looking for protective buffering, right? Like, are you holding your breath? Are you tensing your body? Are you moving really rigidly? Are you aware of your body in space? You know, <laughs> like, what is your body awareness, right? Um, and where is your attention? Because a lot of time, if we have pain, rightfully so, it's going to grab your attention. And that's all you're focused on. But if you were to be, if your brain were to focus on pain, every minute, every second of the day, you would not survive. So my goal is to say, oh, did it hurt then? Oh no, it didn't. It changes. Okay, awesome. So that's hopeful, right? Pain can change. We can move our bodies in different ways. We can help decrease that protective buffering. So I like to play with movement. And then we get to the actual pelvic health examination, which always, and I preface this, your health provider should always ask consent to touch you. 
period. You know, because as a clinician, I do my best to try to ask questions around non-consensual touch and sexual trauma mm-hmm. and also emotional trauma and medical trauma. Um, but sometimes that's not disclosed in the first session. And I need to ask consent. Is it okay today for me to look at your most intimate parts? And is it okay for you to show me where things hurt on your body before I even touch that person? And then always getting consent and letting them know where my next step is, what my next move is. Again, because you don't know that person's entire story and their experiences and what might be activating or triggering for them, whether they know it or not. So I think that's really important to know. So always asking consent and then going to, uh, let's say I got consent, we're all good. Then I do ask the person to show me, like, show me on your penis where it hurts. I do a full sexual organ assessment. So penis, erectile tissue, the glands, the testicles, the scrotum, the anus. And then sometimes if, if warranted, like for example, if somebody has pain with um, anal sex or pain with bowel movements, then I do want to assess the tissues around the anus and then inside the rectum as well, because you want to know, you want to map out what the pain points are, but you want to also want to map out where tissues don't hurt. And then you want to work with that person to modulate that pain response as far as, you know, relaxing their body, breathing, moving their leg uh, a certain way to decrease that experience of pain, you know? So in that session, again, it's very, uh, it's a craft. It's very fluid. It's never going to be the same for every single person. And it shouldn't because your assessment as a clinician should always be based on that person's individual needs and their story. So yes, am I touching testicles and penis? Absolutely. Buttholes. But in a non you know, in a non-sexual way. Yay. Um, but also, and and this is another question that comes up is like, what if what if they get an erection or if they ejaculate? Because if they if this person has, which is common if you have pelvic pain, you can have early ejaculation or um, difficulty controlling ejaculation. And that does happen from time to time. It's rare, but it does happen. Erections happen more often, but that's because we're, we're touching parts that receive sensory input that activate certain reflexes, right. um, the erection reflexes. And I totally, you know, kind of bring out the elephant in the room before that, that, that even comes up, no right. pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, is, hey, this might happen. I'm cool with it as I've been doing this for 10 years. Like, but if you're not comfortable and you want some space, I'm going to, I'd be happy to walk out. Yeah. Right. And then use draping, you know, sheets, et cetera. Like, um, but I'm very open and candid with, hey, whatever you're willing and would like to show me on your body, I am willing to assess it. And then let's do something about it to help make it feel better. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you just mentioned. I think we, generally speaking, have so much work still to do. And that that general area of like, you will have a patient that may or may not get an erection. Let's say you have patients that get erection while you are doing this assessment. Does that mean that they are running sexual energy in your direction or more often than not, they're probably embarrassed for that. And so just because there is an erection does not signal arousal and openness and availability for sex. (laughs) Exactly. We do not need to sexualize bodies. And in fact, a lot of my patients will tell you, like, I want you to treat this part of my body like my nose or my ear. I'm not just because those parts are, they, again, yeah, you exactly what you're saying. A guy will have a a boner in the morning, an erection in the morning. It doesn't mean they're aroused. It's a physiological process. It's a physiological response. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, if I'm erect, I'm aroused. Right. 
And then, exactly. and it's like, I, I said a little while ago of the, how not to respond, what's wrong with you, or is it me and all of that? And so if there's also a boner, then there's a boner, um, <laughs> to look at it. And this is a common thing that I see for, for female partners is all of a sudden, like now I feel some level of responsibility to manage this thing because right. your erection means sexual drive and arousal and that you want it. And now it's just, people are very like humans are complicated, complex, predictable creatures. I say it yes. all of the time. <laughs> messy so, too. Messy. Sometimes life gets messy. Yeah. And messy too. So just throwing... or on that flip side, I'll say if that person doesn't have a heart on, right? right. That doesn't mean that they're not aroused. Right. They can be very aroused and have desire for you, even though their sexual organs may not be um, responsive in that way. Right. Kind of, that's okay. Like, let's put a little less focus on what the penis is doing. Yeah. You know, like sex is over when the, when the dick ejaculates. Right. Right. Done. Right. We met so, our goal. There's right. so much fixation on what the dick is doing. Yeah. Again, not, we're not, I'm not here to, I mean, I know you and I are not minimizing the situation because it right. is very distressing for penis owners to, to experience a change in this yes. organ, you know, in the, in this part of their body. And there's often a lot of grief and loss around a body part that with pain or with, um, you know, any type of, let's say they had a, a prostate cancer and had to have their prostate removed. Sexual function of that, it will change. Sexual function will change. You may, you may have sexual function that is optimal uh, as far as penis performance or penile function, and you may not. And it's, again, it's how do we help that person navigate a new normal, so to speak, yeah. and reestablish that connection with their sexual voice, with their sexual identity, with their partner. Um, and that includes being aware of the grief and loss process around that too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And having grace and tenderness, I think yeah. too, because who am I without this thing? That might right. be a thing for a minute. Like, who am I without this availability? Mm -hmm. uh, the human experience. All of the things. <laughs> All of so, the things. Um, the last piece of the, of the question is, do you give exercises? What's mm -hmm. an example of an exercise you that you might give? And oh, like yes. I said, because I'm very curious about this, right? I, I know that I work with... Um, Vagina owners, since we're using that language, like I, I work with women who have birthed babies, uh, people who've birthed babies and, you know, let's talk Kegels and sensation and all of that. And so I know the exercises that I give for someone who has a vagina and the Kegel and whether that's yoni eggs or some practice or ritual to get in touch with their body, strengthen the muscles. And I only go so far before I also say, go to a PT, you know, I can give you some exercises and I can give you this thing. And then as soon as you hit this marker, and you want something beyond what this exercise might give you, then you got to go to PT. And I have somebody local here in Austin. That is my like, I love referring. I'm a referring machine. <laughs> so, you do have some good folks in Austin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm quite proud of it too. And even though I might not be, they might not be local to Austin, then it's easy enough just to connect because some, just about everybody does stuff virtually these days. Right. So anyway, I know the kinds of exercises that I can give to someone or are you know, that I've worked with, but I'm curious how this looks. Yeah. So I love this because it, it's, um, it's going to be very different than from the traditional sense of what pelvic physical therapy would be. And I give these examples because I will often, like I said, sexual pain and pleasure, right? Like we're so scared of it. I like to reintroduce back pleasure 
how can we be pleasure focused and not pain focused? So one of my exercises might be is touching your soft penis. Because if there's pain in the penis and let's say masturbation is off the table for now because it hurts, right? Or some sort of um, other sexual activity. Rather than it being performance oriented, I go, let's re-embody this part of your body again by just doing a sensory landscape activity. Feel your body, feel your penis, close your eyes softly, maybe use different types of strokes, use lubricant, get to know your penis in a non-painful way because you're reinforcing positive experiences around that part of your body that are not painful. And that's important. That's really important to recover. You want to gradually increase exposure to certain activities that are painful and start to reframe them in a, in a pleasurable way. So yes, do I do often guided, uh, you know, you know, give exercises around like touch your soft penis, guided meditative masturbation. Again, increase blood flow to your penis, but then back off. Watch it, watch it lose, watch your, watch you lose your erection. Cause then that also mitigates anxiety around losing an erection too. So stimulate your penis to an erection and then let it go. But also be aware of the sensation. Like, are you aware of your penis filling with blood? Are you aware of the temperature changes? Notice everything else, not just the pain. Right? Like, so I love like, again, sensory integration in that way. Sometimes if there's, um, for example, let's say there was an injury to like the nerves around the penis, uh, again, common and nerves regenerate or nerves heal, tissues heal, but we might need to do more um, other sensory activities like vibration, using a vibrator, right? To stimulate maybe nerve endings. That's also very common for post-prostatectomy after cancer, right? How do we stimulate these nerve endings and help uh, reestablish the uh, waking up of these nerves, right? To regain function. So vibrators, Manta is one of my favorite ones by Fun Factory to recommend to folks who have penises. But you can use a garden variety vibrator. I also use, um, which is, I found from the BD, I got this from the BDSM community, the kink community. Yeah, a uh, it's like a pinwheel. Yeah, a pinwheel. It's like a, it's like a little spiky pinwheel, mm-hmm. but it's also like, you know, when I show this to guys, they're like, oh my, that looks scary. Where are you like, what do you want me to do with that? And I'm like, no, 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 let's do it on your arm over skin. So to get sensation back or to help right. to resensitize an area that has lost sensation for whatever reason, I'll use tools like that, different sensory tools and textures to help with that again to re-embody to add in playfulness to to really explore with sensation in a non-painful way but a novel way Mm -hmm. so that's one exercise like from from again that perspective um other another exercise i would use is just breath awareness and pelvic awareness with that breath so as you breathe in and out kind of noticing what happens at the pelvic floor you know, are uh, you just notice the range of motion of this trampoline that is the same muscles that women will have, just oriented, just organized differently. You know, so that mobilizes tissues, and so I do do a lot of pelvic coordination work too. As far as okay, inhale, let go, exhale, gently contract, not a hundred ten percent, but just a little bit. So like a progressive muscle relaxation technique, but it also helps to reestablish control 
uh, as far as it can help with ejaculatory control. It can also help with um, erectile function. Because again, if things are tense, tight, if you're nervous, the muscles there might be also kind of protective and guarded. So we're trying to establish greater range of motion and, and healthy movement to those tissues. And that's one of my favorite ways is to just use the breath and combine that with the pelvic awareness to regulate. Good stuff. Oh my gosh. Yay. Okay. And if you had to give, you have gave, given so many resources and names and processes and different things along this podcast journey of today. Um, if somebody is curious and wants to learn a little bit more, I know you have a book. Are there any, you want to mention your book as a resource, maybe uh, another podcast or some kind of resource or quiz or something that someone can take to just help them figure things out? Yes. So you mentioned my book. Thank you for the shameless plug. It is Pelvic Pain, the Ultimate Cock Block. And it is for men who are experiencing pelvic pain, sexual pain. Um, I have a resource, free resource library on my website. As you go to drsuzyg.com, I have a male sexual health resource library and I have a male pelvic pain, sexual pain resource library that is filled with all of my favorite books around men, sex, men and relationships, sexuality. I particularly really enjoy Dr. Barry McCarthy's work. He um, is a uh, psychologist and a researcher uh, around uh, male sexuality. And he uh, is a fabulous resource. So I'm sure if you type in Barry McCarthy, oh, he does have two books, Coping with Premature Ejaculation and Coping with Erectile Dysfunction. Uh, they're, they're for the general audience. Fantastic books. Highly recommend and recommend those resources often. And he has a new book that's called The Contemporary Male Sexuality. It just came out in December 2020. So, and I will be interviewing him for my podcast. Another shameless plug, if I may. No, please. Uh, that's <laughs> part of why you are here. I, yes. Listen <laughs> to you. what Dr. Susie says, y'all. <laughs> I have a podcast called In Your Pants. And I will be interviewing Dr. Barry McCarthy in July to talk about men and sex. So I love both those topics. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Yes. Uh, if someone is navigating through sexual pain or pelvic pain and just wants to have, you know, some resource to help if they can't get in to see a pelvic therapist or a provider, I do have an online self-paced program for men. That walks that walks them through basically how to do your own self assessment and then treatment. Mm. So it's a self paced online program that so you can good. find on my website as well. That feels like for somebody who it's challenging, just the idea of going in and doing the schedule and putting it on the schedule and then going for the it's just like a whole process. It's like okay, let me do the thing. I think with all of the developments um, with virtual medical and healthcare and all of that. And I think healthcare professionals taking the reins and creating their own resources where lots of people can have access. So it sounds like that's way more accessible for some people, whether it's emotionally, financially, whatever their reason is, um, to get the help that they need and get the guidance that they need. So that I'm mm -hmm. so glad to hear that that is a resource that is available as well. I am so excited to share what you just said, the resources, because I have a resource page on my website too. And it's a little sprinkling of 
a handful of things. And I get asked all the time, what can I read for guys? Like I, I, a part of what I do is also helping sex, love and relationship professionals, um, market and brand and, and make, create opportunities online for them to make a lot of money so they can keep doing the work that they're here to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, I always have a handful of people that want to work specifically with men and my resources up to this point have been relatively limited. Like I, I suggest a handful of people and a couple of books. And so to know that you also might have a little list of some, some things that I have not checked out is very exciting for the sex nerd in me. And I'm sure That's is going awesome. to be super beneficial to some of my students. And then of course my community. So. Dr. Susie, thank you so much for having another super informative, heartfelt, um, gosh, much needed conversation with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Alexa. It was a pleasure. Uh, Y'all go follow Dr. Susie, listen to In Your Pants, read her book, check out her resources. She's awesome. And, uh, and of course, as usual, let me know what you think about the show. And if there's any topic that we touched on that you want us to double click, zoom in, go a little deeper on, let me know um, so that we can keep bringing you amazing conversations with awesome professionals and regular old people who are experiencing this thing called life and just wanting to be more sex positive, wanting to express themselves more, understand themselves more, have better relationships, sex, and of course, just more deeply fulfilling lives at large. I'll see y'all on the next show. Thank you again, Dr. Susie. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.